Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Industry Focus. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. Start writing confidently by going to Grammarly.com fool to get 20% off a Grammarly premium account today. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, May 9th, and we're talking about Berkshire Hathaway. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Matt Delalo via Skype. How's it going, Matt? Going well. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, you know, this uh, this Anadarko, Occidental, Petroleum, Chevron deal, we just can't seem to get away from it. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, last time we had you on the show, April 18th, uh, Chevron had just had just made an offer to buy Anadarko. Twelve days later, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway jumped into the mix. We're going to talk about that today. But then this morning, Chevron announced they're pulling out of the deal. So, you know, every time we come on this show, we're getting new news, new stuff to talk about here with this deal. So, uh, you know, just just the, the news of the day before we kind of dive in deep uh, into kind of this, the, the details of this deal. What's kind of your thoughts on Chevron pulling out today, taking that billion dollar, uh, you know, breakup fee and kind of taking their ball and going home? Yeah, I think that makes total sense for them. Even though the deal really looked good from a Chevron perspective, there's so much more strategic benefits to them than I think for Occidental. But you know, taking a billion dollars is, you know, I think anyone would take that, especially in the oil industry. Oil prices have been so volatile. This deal could really um, hamper Occidental long term. I did like something that Chevron CEO said. He said, "Winning in any environment doesn't mean winning at any cost." And um, so their ability to you know, look at the cost and and say, you know, this isn't worth overpaying for that. I think that makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, and you know, a billion dollars doesn't hurt either. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if, so uh, just to kind of break down how things shook out, you know, Chevron had, had you know offered offered a deal at sixty two dollars a share, uh, but uh, but then Occidental came over the top and offered seventy six dollars a share with fifty nine dollars of that in cash. Earlier this week, we got Anadarko's board uh, kind of said. That uh, the Occidental bid was bigger, and then Chevron pulling out today. So, so as we sit today, uh, you know, th- this is where we're at. And you know, what really made this deal possible uh, were a few moves that Occidental was able to make to kind of generate some cash. So, kind of, there, there are two deals there. We have the Berkshire deal, which we'll talk about. But first, let's talk about uh, Total. They're going to divest 8.8 billion dollars uh, worth of assets in North Africa, uh, and that's that's the. Occidental had said they were going to divest $10 billion in assets to be able to make this Anadarko bid work. This gives them $8.8 billion of that. You know, what should we kind of know about this deal? What does it mean for Total uh, to kind of take that position in North Africa and take these assets away from Anadarko? Yeah, so it makes sense for Occidental to, you know, pawn these off on Total. They're not really big in um, international markets, especially in Africa. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. The question I have is, you know, there was really no bidding on this that we know of. It was kind of like, hey, could you take these off our hands? And $8.8 billion is a lot of money for this. Uh, It does take off the LNG project that that Anadarko was working on in Mozambique. That could be a big deal for Total over the long run because LNG is just this huge, fast-growing market. China is consuming a lot of natural gas, so they need LNG. So... uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense for Telltale to pick that up. They've been, they want to be a bigger player in LNG and kind of rival uh, Royal Dutch Shell. So I think it's a good deal on their side. I don't really think Occidental got full value for it, but that's, you know, my opinion. Yeah, it, it seems to be the case. It seemed that Occidental felt a little thirsty on this deal. They're making a lot of moves uh, to, to kind of 
generate the cash to be able to make it happen. You, you know, uh, going to the Berkshire side of this deal, Berkshire got really an incredible deal uh, from Occidental as well. Uh, so, so uh, Buffett committed ten billion dollars to a preferred stock investment in Occidental Petroleum with an eight percent coupon. So that means Berkshire's going to be getting eight hundred million dollars annually. Uh, you know, every year from this deal, which for, for an investment grade company is the high end of normal. So, really favorable deal for Berkshire, as well as, you know, he got a sweetener in the form uh, of, you know, 80, uh, warrants to purchase up to 80 million shares at 62.50 a share. So, when you look at this deal, it's kind of the same question. It obviously it appears very favorable for Berkshire. What, what does this mean for Occidental? You know, what, what was the rationale behind this deal? Yeah, so what a, there are two main concerns from investors on this deal. One of them though, is all the shares that they were going to issue to um, Anadarko, and that 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 would have if they issued more than twenty percent, they would have had a shareholder vote, and they were concerned that shareholders would vote the deal down. And there's been a lot of talk that now shareholders will vote out the board. Um, so in order to get around that, they needed to offer more cash, and so that's where the 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 asset sale in Africa, and then this thing from Buffett, because there was concerns about the balance sheet. Now, Occidental has a great balance sheet, A-rated credit. However, they're taking out a lot of de- debt in this deal. You know, They're assuming it's Darko's debt, and then they're paying all this cash. And so one of the ways to kind of get around that is to use preferred stock, which is is it's like common shares plus equity. So it's kind of got that 50-50 balance. So it doesn't like way down the balance sheet in the eyes of like credit rating agencies. So it was a way to kind of get around that. But the price they're paying is really incredible. Um, some analysts thought they could have got 6% if they did this deal uh, through the public markets. And then, you know, there's no, uh, it's perpetual. So Warren Buffett could conceivably get this, you know, $800 million a year forever. And um, he even got, he got $50 million just for signing the contract, whether the deal went through or not. And then you th- you throw in the the dilution from the shares that he can get. That's how he made all that money back in the financial crisis. He invested in like Bank of America and just bank big bucks from that. You know those warrants. So I think he's coming out well ahead on this deal. Yeah. Again, you know, you look back at the financial crisis. You had folks who needed money quick. Uh, you know, it's it's just in you know uncertain times. And and here it seemed that Occidental really wanted to get access to this cash quick so they could get over the top. Of Chevron's bid, and then somebody like Warren Buffett and Berkshire are, are one of the few people out there that have the capability. I mean, I think when I, you know, you listen to, to you know Buffett talking over the weekend about the deal, the details of it. I want to say, you know, he first heard wind of it on Friday, and the deal was, you know, closed on paper by Sunday. Uh, there's not a lot of folks out there that could have made that deal happen that quickly, and you know. Uh, the ability to do that allows Berkshire to extract some some pretty favorable terms, and. Uh, you know, this is a classic deal for Warren Buffett. I mean, it seems seems like there's there's not a lot of downside for them uh, uh, from this deal. Uh, again, uh, Occidental looked a little thirsty. You mentioned uh, some some investors, T. Rowe Price in particular, said, "Hey, if if this doesn't go to a vote, you know, we're probably going to vote against your board of directors here." So, you know, I, I can see it making a whole ton of sense. It does obviously make a whole ton of sense for Total and Berkshire here. Uh, we'll see how things play out for Occidental. Some question marks about how much they paid. Um, with this kind of this, you know, payment going forward in, in perpetuity, do you think this is going to restrict the flexibility of the business moving forward, or how how does this play out on now that you know this merger happens? What is this liability going to do to the company's ability to invest further, you know, into the future? 
Yeah, it does a lot of things for the company. They're, they've already said that they're going to slow down their growth rate. They're supposed to grow maybe at an 8 to 10% rate going forward. Now they're going to slow that down to 5 Now that's off a larger base. So there's a little bit of that. But they want to generate more free cash flow so that they can pay you know, uh, Buffett and then pay down debt and things like that. But the structure of this preferred really hampers them. The way it works out is if they pay out more than $4 a share to their investors, um, which it would be like the dividend plus buybacks and the current dividend is $3.12 a share, they have to redeem these preferreds at 110%. So what they, so like $10 billion plus another billion. Um, so it's just, it hampers their ability to buy back stock. It hampers the ability to raise the dividend. So and then, you know, for if oil prices crash now, Occidental, they can do very, very, very well at $40 a barrel. But, you know, if oil prices did, you know, sustain a long downturn, they could have to cut the dividend or things like that because there's they're paying so much for this. And so I, I really question this deal. I hope I'm wrong um, for their perspective. I know why they're doing it. The Permian Basin is just this phenomenal basin. They're they're picking up a lot more land. They should be able to get you know, a lot more drilling. But it just seems like they were way aggressive. Yeah, this feels a little thirsty. Like I said before, we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how things play out. Uh, you know, the Permian has the chance to to really drive a lot of upside, but you know, time will tell. All right, on the back half of the show, we're going to dive into Berkshire's earnings a little more in depth. Uh, but first, a message from our sponsor. Thanks to Grammarly for supporting Industry Focus. Grammarly is a communication tool that helps people improve their writing to be mistake-free, clear, and effective. They encourage everyone, even the best students and top professionals, to use Grammarly to do their best work and accomplish even more of their goals. Grammarly is a writing assistant that makes you look and sound smarter. Easily improve yourself and your communication at school, work, and almost anywhere else with Grammarly. Their free product reviews critical spelling and grammar, while Grammarly Premium looks out for spelling and grammar, plus advanced punctuation, structure, style within context, vocabulary suggestions, conciseness, and readability for different occasions. You can use Grammarly to accomplish your writing goals, from avoiding email typos on your cell phone to polishing up your resume to kickstart your career. I use Grammarly here at The Motley Fool to make sure my writing is quality and mistake-free, and the premium features help me figure out the right word when I just can't seem to figure out what's the right word that's supposed to fit in that sentence. Um, you know, So if you want to try Grammarly's tools for yourself to help improve your writing, go to Grammarly.com slash fool to get 20% off your Grammarly premium account today. That's Grammarly.com slash fool for 20% off your Grammarly premium account. All right, Matt. So, so now I want to talk a little bit about Berkshire's earnings. Uh, you know, first off, the numbers, when you see this net income number, off the top, it's really eye-popping. Uh, 21.7 billion dollars, but you need to take a little bit of that with a grain of salt. 15.1 billion dollars of that is just mark-to-market on the equity portfolio. The S&P was up 13 percent during the first quarter, and obviously that that provided a whole lot of ballast um, for Berkshire's equity portfolio. Uh, so when you back out to the core business, you know you're looking about. 6.6 billion in, in net income, a lot of cash, but not quite. Uh, you know what you're going to see from that headline number. But as you dig into the the you know Berkshire's actual operating businesses, Matt, what kind of stood out to you uh, from this report, and uh, you know what's going on in that part of, of Berkshire's you know universe? I really liked uh, the railroad earnings. The pre-tax earnings were up 10 percent to 1.7 billion dollars. Uh, he benefited from higher rates per car and fuel surcharges, and that that big boost came even though there was like really bad weather during 
the the winter and flooding in the Midwest. So that hurt volumes, but they made all that up on pricing. Um, we saw some other railroads do the same thing, uh, Genesee and Wyoming. They reported really strong earnings, even though there was all this flooding and stuff. Um, the big things were industrial and consumers, which, you know, your oil, your construction materials. So that hints at a really strong economy. Um, the weaknesses were in coal and agriculture. Um, so it was really good. You know, it shows that that investment in um, Burlington Northern is really paying off. Yeah. And those railroads kind of fit what you know Warren Buffett has done in the past. He used to always invest in, in newspapers. Those are kind of little monopolies. You look at a railroad, we've talked about with, with, with pipelines before, those are little monopolies too. You, you know, you control those routes. They're not really building a lot of new railroads these days. So, so uh, you know, when folks need to move things around, they have to go to Berkshire or, or these other folks. And, you know, when the economy is doing well, uh, and, you know, it really works out for these railroads. I mean, we've, we've talked in the past too about you know, there's pipeline constraints as well, taking away, uh, you know, oil from some of these plays. You know, railroads are a good substitute for that. And so that, that kind of explains some of where you might see that that uh, strong performance in that part of the business. Uh, their utilities and energy also had a, a pretty good quarter as well, Matt. What, what did you see from that part uh, of Berkshire's operating businesses? Yeah, so utilities and earnings there, pre-tax was up 11% to like $500 million. So that was pretty good. But it was interesting. There's a lot of mixed results. Uh, they they own several utilities, and Mid Americans probably their most famous ones. Earnings there doubled, um, but a lot of the other ones are up or down. So it you know, but that just shows the diversification of Buffett's um, energy portfolio. And then uh, you know he had some other energy businesses like he has pipelines and he has investments in renewables and uh, regulated electricity transmission. You know, those were down, they reported a loss. So the diversification really helped him get, you know, he had just some really good um, assets out there and those are performing well and they're offsetting some weak areas. Yeah. Again, that's what you get from Berkshire, this super diversified industrial conglomerate in areas where, you know, Regardless of how the economy is performing, some part of that business is going to be doing well. Uh, you know, a lot of the number a lot of folks want to look at today with Berkshire is their cash on hand. So they've got 114 billion dollars in cash on the balance sheet, at least you know at the end of the most recent quarter. Twenty, you know, Berkshire has said they want to keep 20 billion dollars in cash at all times. That means they've got 95 billion dollars in usable cash on the balance sheet hanging out. Maybe if you want to say 85 now that this 10 billion dollar contingent, uh, you know, uh, loan uh, or contingent. Uh, you know, cash inf- infusion uh, to Occidental is going to take place. You got a lot of cash on hand, and uh, you know, Berkshire did buy back 1.7 billion dollars in shares. Uh, you know, during the first quarter of 2019, which is more than they bought in the whole second half of 2018. But still, a lot of cash sitting around for Berkshire uh, to go to work. Uh, you know, folks have been asking Buffett whether he's gonna he's gonna buy back stock. You know, what are your thoughts on? Are you looking for for Warren to write a big check and, and write back a big chunk of stock, or, or what are your thoughts on kind of how how they've kind of been slow playing these buybacks and and rumors about them? Yeah, I I know he's he's threatened, so to speak, to buy back like a hundred billion dollars in shares. However, I think he'd much prefer to buy good businesses than to buy back stock. You can make more money by investing in a good business than buying back your own stock. That Stock buybacks only work in certain circumstances, like if the stock's depressed. So, you know, if we have a big market pulled out and, the, you know, it's kind of drawn down this week with all the trade talk um, collapse rumors. So that could, you know, instigate Buffett to buy back more shares. However, I think he really wants to to buy, you know, a really good business and they're just 
they haven't been there because the market's been doing so well. So he's patient. Um, it's a good lesson to all of us to just have cash on the sidelines and be patient. It does, you know, drag in the near term, but the long term, you get a good business at a good price. And that's how he's created so much value over the years. Yeah, you know, he's just talked about having that elephant gun, wanting to get that big, you know, that big haul, a big acquisition. Uh, but he, he did mention, you know, during the annual meeting over the weekend that it, it's just become more more competitive as more private equity has come out in the market, and there's just a lot more people competing for these deals, bidding up uh, the prices of these businesses that might be attractive to Berkshire. So it's just been very difficult for them to find deals that are compelling, a very compelling value. Uh, for them, I mean, in an ideal world, you know, Buffett wants to find the deal like we talked about on the first half of this show. Where heck, I get eight percent in perpetuity on a big old ten billion dollar slug of uh, of investment. You know, that's what he's looking for. And uh, you know, when conditions present themselves, he won't hesitate. Uh, you know, like he did with the Occidental deal. Um, talking about acquisitions and you know uh, how you need to kind of time. How you buy things. Another thing that uh, you know uh, Buffett talked about at the meeting was was the Kraft Heinz deal, and you know he said that. He just came out and said, "Hey, we overpaid for this deal. They're doing well operationally, but you know, if you pay too much, any deal can be a bad deal." So, as you look at the Kraft Heinz deal and how that's fitting into to Berkshire's portfolio, you know, what are your thoughts on you know, it's how its role is going to continue as part of Berkshire and you know, yeah, what what are, what are your thoughts on that deal just in a, in a broad sense? Well, that's a good example of a, a deal where you had two kind of big companies merging together and there was questionable strategic um, sense at the time, you know, because you have ketchup, you know, merging with mac and cheese doesn't, you know, seem to make sense. And um, and, and it's, it's not really a growth business. There's been a lot of changes with how people are eating. We're trying to eat more healthy. So we're not eating the packaged foods that you have with the craft business. And so that's weighing on that, you know, that business and they're not getting, you know, the, the, the sales and the synergies and all that. So yeah, you overpaid, um, but he overpaid just because the business isn't growing. And that's, that's kind of the risk with these big deals is they're trying to, to manufacture growth by by doing you know big mergers, and uh, it, you know I don't know what the turnaround strategy will be for Kraft Heinz because they're they're going to need to get into more of these healthy food product businesses to kind of be successful going forward. Yeah, it's it, and those brands just traditionally you know in the consumer's mind are just not associated you know with those those types of you know uh, that that segment of the market. So we'll have to see. How things how things develop, it, you know, it's a rare instance where, where Buffett comes out and says, "Hey, I, I made a mistake," but you have to respect that, right? I mean, I think I think everyone, as an investor, you need to be you're going to make mistakes, but to to kind of recognize it, analyze where you went wrong, and kind of incorporate those lessons moving forward. I, I, I think you know, from what's well regarded as the best investor, you know, maybe ever, is, is a good example for us. Is when you make mistakes, just own it and try to try to learn from your mistakes and not repeat them uh, going forward. We have. We haven't seen uh, Berkshire's 13F yet of what new investments they've been making. We're expecting that on May 15th, but we did get a little bit of kernel of information over the weekend that uh, you know a lot of folks have been buzzing about, and I kind of want to talk about it, you know, maybe for a couple minutes here with you, Matt. And that's that uh, Berkshire's investment managers, that's Todd Wexler and Ted Combs. One of those has reportedly been buying Amazon recently. You know, when you see that, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, this this business that, you know, has been the paragon of value investing, uh, you know, buying low PEs, all those sorts of things, moving into Amazon, kind of, what what's what's your reaction to that? And uh, you know, 
yeah, what, what's your reaction to, to Berkshire, you know, kind of breaking the mold on what they've traditionally uh, invested in? Well, that, that kind of goes back to our early conversation about they have all this cash and they need to, to figure out how to invest it and how to invest it well. And there's just been this shift in the marketplace of old school companies just aren't performing well, but you have these new school companies like an Amazon that are just putting, you know, retail out of business. So I think, you know, you see the disruption there and the upside there. I know myself, it took me years to try to, you know, pull the trigger on Amazon because it's just going up and up and up and like, oh, I think I paid like $300 a share at the time. And it's like, you know, I just had to do it. And now it's skyrocketed from there and I'm glad. And this could be one of those similar situations. Amazon is very volatile stock. So, you know, I'm sure he'll have to answer questions at some time. Well, why did you buy it at the high or something like that? But, you know, Berkshire's really started to shift into technology lately, which has been something that, you know, Buffett has kind of avoided. But that's just because that's where our world is heading. We're becoming a much more connected world. Uh, online retail is being such a big part of it. So I can see them doing more of these type of things in, in the future. And it'll just shift how value investors look for value and, and look at the total addressable market versus, you know, where things are today. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing an evolution, whether, whether you know, uh, Buffett wants to admit it or not, or whether you know traditional value investors want to talk about it or not, but value as an analytical style is different than value on a you know a PE basis, right? And so you know you can have a company like Amazon that has been you know by by traditional metrics overvalued its entire history. Like you could go back from 1997 to an IPO to today, and by every traditional valuation metric, this is a a company that you know is going to look overvalued on a PE basis. But um, you know from an you know if you're looking at it from an analytical style. You know the the valuation of the company today relative to the future cash flows it can deliver in the future. I, I think you know the market is starting to recognize that that is that is another way uh, to find value. Um, you know, Matt. Before we go away, it's kind of you know it's always fun to talk about with Berkshire. They've got all this cash on hand. Um, you know, if you're if you're sitting on you know this this big ninety billion dollar uh, portfolio today. And uh, you know you could deploy it anywhere. What would be the big elephant gun acquisition you'd be looking for? Uh, you know, if you were a king of Berkshire Hathaway for a day. You know, the, because he's so into value. The the one place that I see value, and I cover it every day, so it's it's kind of the only place that I look is pipelines. They're they're trading at such cheap valuations, sometimes less than nine percent, nine times cash flow, like a Kinder Morgan. I think that's a nine or ten times cash flow. And you know he could buy something like that um, and still have some some spending money and get a really good return because these are regulated assets. You know they throw up a ton of cash. There's growth there, um, so I, I could see him. In, and that was one of the initial things that they thought with the Anadarko deal that maybe he was interested in uh, Western Midstream, which was um, their uh, their MLP. Um, so I could definitely see that being something that if he hasn't looked at yet, he should. Yeah, I, I think that one would be really interesting. You know, we've talked about, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, um, Brookfield Asset Management, right? That's that's kind of like the Canadian Berkshire Hathaway. I'd love to see them make make a run or make an investment and them kind of partner up uh, with that business. I think payments mm-hmm. is something that, that Warren Buffett has always been involved with in a meaningful way. I mean, he's been invested in American Express for decades. Somebody like Square. Uh, you know, it w- would fit in really nicely with that portfolio. We'll have to watch and see. Uh, you know, the 13F is coming out here in a couple of weeks, so uh, I'm sure we'll have something to talk about uh, there soon. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Love having you on, as always. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks so much. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. 
So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. From Matt Delalo, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and full on. <laughs>